Welcome to Practice Talk, a deep dive into the world of healthcare practices, where we invite team members to share strategies to make your work life easier. Now your host, Lacey Ellis. Welcome to our second episode of Practice Talk, brought to you by People in Practice Media. I'm excited to dive into our topic today of exam room insights, excuses versus valid treatment delays. Joining me today is Sarah, and she's a treatment coordinator, also known as a TC in the orthodontic industry. She's in a busy practice and has proven not only to get high case acceptance, but she also has a gift for being able to read people in the exam room, and she uses this talent to help advocate for her patients. So welcome, Sarah. Thank you so much for having me. Well, we are so lucky to have you and we're so grateful that you took the time to be with us today. Um, as a quick reminder to those listening, don't worry about taking any notes. Uh, we'll put together a printable for you that you'll be able to download for free from our website and it'll be filled with all of the details from our discussion today. So we're gonna dive right in and I know I started our last episode with the very same question, but I'm always really, really curious. So I'm wondering, how does your team check in your patients? And is it the same for your new patients as it is for your existing patients or do you anything uh, a little different for them? Sure. So we do uh, a little bit different. Um, we have two front desks and it is a busy front desk. Uh, they're sometimes on the phone, they're checking emails, they're checking out patients, um, and they don't always have time to check in patients. So we have a check-in computer for established patients, patients that are coming in every six or eight weeks. Um, and when they first start treatment, we show them how to check themselves in and go down to brush their teeth and sit on deck uh, waiting for their name to be called. Um, if my front desk are available and they're not on the phone, if, the, if they hear the door open, they are going to turn around and say hi to somebody. But that way, if they are both on the phone or both with patients or either or, if a patient comes in, the patient knows that they can go and get the treatment started and we can still run as on time as possible. So that is our established patients. Our new patients though, we do welcome them to the office a little bit differently. Um, we are trying to, um, um, you know, for the, most, for the most part, we know who's walking in the door. And if we see a uh, face that we don't recognize, we know that that's, there's a good chance that's a new patient. So the front desk is standing up, they're greeting them, they're welcoming them to the practice. Um, they're asking if they have an insurance card and you know, if the paperwork has already been filled out online or if they haven't done it yet, they're handing them paperwork, they're showing them where the restroom is and um, and telling them to have a seat and that we'll be that I'll be right with them, basically. Okay, great. Um, it, so I know I always tried to greet a new patient when I was at the front desk, like my sister was sending her very best friend in with their kiddo. So I knew they were coming. I was anticipating them coming and um, just put a little bit of extra love into it. But I also tried to do that with all of our existing patients as well, make them always, you know, feel welcome and excited to see them. So it wasn't a huge difference, but there was just a little bit more anticipation mm -hmm. for that new patient to come in. So definitely, um, absolutely. Can you walk us through what's your process as the treatment coordinator? Once patients checked in, they've got paperwork, everything's ready to go, and you're getting them and taking them back. What is your process um, from that point kind of moving forward? Just give us a sure. maybe a brief overview. 
Sure. So um, I have about an hour with a typical new patient. Um, and we run a schedule on doctor time. So there are certain things I need to get done at certain points and make sure I'm ready to bring the doctor in so I don't uh, interrupt the flow of the clinic too much. Um, but for the first 10 or 15 minutes of the exam, I'm sitting there trying to get to know them. I sit down with them. I'm giving them an idea of what they can expect for the day for the hour, um, I'm trying to see if they have any questions that either I can answer at that point or make sure I answer before they're leaving. Um, I'm seeing if they have any goals for the appointment. I'm telling them what our goals are going to be. Um, and, um, and while I'm doing this, I'm asking them questions to start to not only get to know them personally, but also read them a little bit. Um, you know, I'm, most of my questions are directed to the patient, whether that's the child or an adult, whoever I'm dealing with. But if I'm talking to the child, I'm also watching the parent. Um, how are they interacting when I'm talking to their child? Um, could they care less? Are they looking at their phone with little to no interest that I'm talking to their child and making a big deal out of the appointment? Um, are they interrupting me uh, to answer questions that I really would like their child to answer? And at the same time, um, how is the child answering questions? Are they talking to me a little bit more about video games and computers? And and um, do, are they going to be a little bit more interested in how braces work and the technology and things like that? Or are they um, more into sports and they're going to be more concerned about wearing braces and, and playing sports and mouth guards and things like that? So it's sort of a, I'm, I'm, I'm getting to know them, but there's our purpose behind that for that matter. And then do you go brief the doctor with everything that you've learned, show them x-rays? Yes. So after we talk, yes, sorry. Thank you very much. Um, so yeah. after we talk, I um, get an x-ray and we do a scan right away, an Itero scan. Um, that kind of builds the rapport too, especially, you know, one of my questions I always ask the parent is, have you ever been to the orthodontic office before? Is this your first visit, especially if it's for a child? And if the parent says yes, um, then I also know how we're going to direct the conversation because they don't really know anything about orthodontics. Uh, we're going to explain things a little bit differently as opposed to if they've had braces themselves, even maybe if they've been a past patient of ours for that matter, um, we can talk differently about their treatment or their child's treatment or whatever. And also build up the fact that we are a tech forward office. Um, by the way, we don't do impressions anymore. It's, it's, it's all scanning and then the parent gets jealous of their child for the first time in their life. You know, they don't have to have molds anymore. Um, so once I get that information and I show them the scan and the x-ray, then yes, I will go brief my doctor, um, tell them not only the goals, why the dentist sent them in, what the parents' goals are, whatever it may be, um, and then bring the doctor in and introduce everybody. Excellent. And then doctor goes through um, treatment measurements and everything gives you all the notes and then gives his recommendation for treatment and then I assume leaves uh, leaves everything in your capable hands to kind of finish up that discussion and then yes. see where to go from there with treatment. Correct. So the doctor has about, again, with the doctor time in our practice, um, about 15 to 20 minutes. That includes the exam. 
So we do the exam first, which I've already explained to the child for that matter. I usually say something to the child along the lines of, he's gonna be telling me some things, it'll sound like a foreign language, um, but I promise when he's done, he's gonna explain everything about what those numbers mean to him. And that's gonna help him explain to you and your parents, or if it's an adult to you, about what we can do for you and how we can accomplish um, your treatment or how we can reach the goals that you're looking for. Perfect, I love it. So what systems do you have in place that make your job in the exam room a little easier or run a little smoother? Is there anything that you feel like is kind of your special sauce to uh, getting that to go smoothly? So let me, um, years ago, I was um, at a doctor's appointment. I actually hurt my knee at, the, at work and I was, in the doctor's office, um, it happened to be with my father because I was I couldn't drive that well. Um, it was just me being careless, by the way. Um, <laughs> but I, the the nurse asked me, um, "What do you do for a living?" And I struggled with the answer. I nobody outside of the dental world knows what a treatment coordinator or a TC is, and how do you explain that to somebody that doesn't really know? Um, so he he could see me sort of stumbling a little bit. And he he answered for me. He goes, she's in sales, and I was so disgusted by that. I um, I was like, because the first thing you think of when you think sales is a car salesman, or at least for me, mm -hmm. that's what I think of. And um, it's such a dirty word, uh, especially for a not fun car salesman, for that matter. And there are exceptions. Don't get me wrong, um, but. I didn't like the word. And I, after we left the room, I said, I can't believe you. That's what you told her. And he goes, that's what you do. <laughs> and I thought about it and he was right. Um, but I also wanted to make sure that I was never that gross salesman or gross saleswoman. I wanted to um, be a patient's advocate. And I, I tell them that um, I am here for whatever you need and I will assist you in whatever I can do for you. And I will tell patients that. Um, I, I like to think that one thing I do well is through a lot of training, both from people in the office and from some of the best consultants in the field, I like to think I explain things well. Um, I take my time and I, and I will tell patients, I am here for whatever questions that you have, whether it's now, whether it's in treatment, whether it's at 10 o'clock at night, yes, I probably won't answer the phone, but go ahead and email me and I'll answer it the next day. Um, so they know how to get a hold of me. I like to think that that's, um, there's there's some hospitality in that so yes i'm in sales but there's hospitality and i strive to be a sincere warm person and i like to think that that's what uh, my strength is for that matter um i don't want them to leave and say gosh i feel pushed i don't know if this was the right decision yeah. um i don't want people rethinking it because i've pushed so hard um there are certain things i can do to push people or if the kid young woman young man is excited for treatment i can push the parents a little bit but i'm not going to do it overzealously because sure. I don't want people to rethink their decision once they leave the office. Um, we, my front desk does a new patient phone call. Um, so they're trying to get information for me ahead of time. Um, 
and that information obviously helps. Um, and they're, they're going to do a little bit of personality reading. That's some training that we're doing right now um, because I do have two more, uh, uh, or I guess I should say newer front desks since COVID that I mm -hmm. had previously. Um, like many practices, we've had some changes um, since the pandemic. And sure. So we are trying to change some training and things like that, but I, I like the personality testing to extend to the new patient phone call. So I know exactly, or I have a heads up of exactly who I'm dealing with uh, before they even come into practice. Yeah, I, I always said like, give me everything you think I don't need to know <laughs> after you've had Absolutely. that new patient phone call. I love a new patient phone slip that has stuff written up the sides and down the bottom and on the back. Yep. And like, those are my favorites. I'm like, oh, you really no got question. a lot about this. So my favorite patient and, you know, sometimes again, personality wise, it can rub people the wrong way, but I like a direct patient, whether it's a father, whether it's a mother, whether it's the patient, adult, child, whatever, those are actually my favorite patients because I don't have to read between the lines. They tell me exactly what they want. They tell me exactly what I can do to get their business. Um, and if I can meet those goals, I have them. Um, mm -hmm. That's sometimes hard for other people to deal with. And I know my front desk who is, um, especially our new patient coordinator, she has such a great personality. She is bubbly, but that type of person can sometimes be harder for her because they, for lack of a better word, don't care about her personality. That's not going to influence their information. And so she's going to say they're hard to deal with. For me, I love that um, because again, I don't have to work that hard. I just have to meet what they're looking for um, and I have them. So um, yeah. again, you have to be careful of what the front desk is also sharing with you and how you sure. take it too. So um, I found it very interesting because you've said this a couple of times now. So I wanted to kind of uh, pick at this just a little bit um, because for me, I think the most crucial tool per se um, that I had in the exam room was uh, being intentional about doctor time. Um, it was just so important that we were on time in the exam room so that we're on time for the rest of the exams, but that we also were clearing the clinic the best we could. So there wasn't that backup happening. So that um, being conscious of the doctor time seemed to be one of our most valuable kind of tools in making things run smoothly for the whole practice. Mm -hmm. Agreed. Yeah. It's, um, you, you know, we are definitely part of a team. We all have to work together. And that means us making sure that we're in the right place at the right time and making sure the doctor's in the place at the right time. Um, yeah. I have two doctors in my in the practice. Um, both are very good in the exam room, but sometimes they really enjoy talking to the patient, which is awesome, but I need to get them out. Um, so there are things that I can do to push things along. Um, because again, that doctor time, um, I can't keep my doctor yeah. here for an extended amount of time. So it's funny you say that because we had a, it was like a neon green post-it note almost thing that when that <laughs> came out of my desk and like got slid onto the desk, doctor knew oh. it's time to stop talking exit the room and let me because <laughs> I'm like smart you 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 are giving them way too much information you can see the patient kind of glaze over and the parents looking yeah. around and you're like 
okay, this is the time. So, you know, we had like cues like that where we were like, mm -hmm. when the post-it note comes out, Yep. You, you're, you're, yes. you're cue to go. <laughs> Absolutely. So, but I, they, they know that I, I have sort of a desk off the treatment table. So when I pull my chair up to the desk, it means they need to go. <laughs> yeah. We have to have these cues because they're amazing. Yes. I mean, um, most of our doctors have just so much information and they're so excited to pass that knowledge on to the patients. But because as a TC, you really do learn how to read people. I think we see those cues and we're like, they're not catching on that this patient has lost interest in what they're saying. So um, I love that. Okay, so we like to ask um, our clients at People in Practice, as well as our listeners to send in some anonymous questions or stories. So let's listen to our first question. Hi, we are currently seeing six new patients a day at 9, 10, 11, and then 1, 2, and 3 o'clock. I'm also trying to manage pending and virtual exams and OBS. Sometimes it feels a little overwhelming, so I'm curious what other TCs see for exams in a day and any tips on how I can manage my time and schedule a little better. Thank you. Oh. I think this is a great question. And I just wanna say up front that every practice is just so different in what would work for them and what doesn't. So we just like to get all sorts of different views and opinions. So Sarah's today is the one that we're getting, but as a general rule, we all have you know the same amount of time in the day. Um, I heard someone say once that Beyonce has the same 24 hours in the day that we all have and look what she can accomplish. So, um, so I just wanted that little bit of a caveat that um, every practice is very different about what would work for them. But how many exams do you see in a day and what does your schedule kind of look like? I know you said they're about an hour. So what does that, you know, a day overview look like for you? Sure. So I see four to five new patients a day. Um, and similar to others, they're about an hour um, each. And then we do set aside time in our practice to do um, additional records. We present that to the patient that we're saving them a trip into the office. If they want to start with treatment at the first new patient phone call, we have the time set aside to do that for them. Um, but the time with me is about an hour. Um, I also handle... Uh, OBS patients, um, those are usually a 30-minute appointment. And okay. I also have time in my schedule to do consults, patients who we've seen where the doctor needed to get some information before he presented a plan. So I'll present the plan and I do the consults. Um, those are fewer nowadays. Um, it used We used to do uh, five years ago, two steps, a lot more. Um, now, especially with the, um, with COVID and people just being more, um, having more limited schedules, we do a lot more one steps uh, with the exception of a few harder cases for that matter. Um, so I do have time in my schedule to do that. I'll be honest, in our area, we, um, we are a busy practice, we're in central Maine, but we pull patients from three hours um, west, north, east, um, to come visit us. So we are trying to optimize their time in the practice. Virtual appointments haven't become that popular around here yet. We do have the ability to do them, um, but I'm not filling my schedule with them either for that matter. Mm -hmm. That being said though, if a patient does reach out and they do want a virtual cons consultation, um, we don't schedule as much time. Uh, we treat them more like an 
OBS, meaning 20, 30 minutes. Um, and we schedule the, the time once we get their photos and their, their information and things like that. So we're not scheduling a full new patient exam. So that's one way to sort of help the schedule a little bit. Um, we're also, I'm not giving them um, the world is their oyster of appointment times either. I'm giving them certain appointment times where it's going to be a little bit quieter in the office that I may not schedule a new patient or I may not take away from a new patient. Going one step further, we also schedule our new patients based on what type of new patient they're going to be. So again, this is going to my front desk, but when a patient calls and they are the sibling of someone that's already in the practice um, or the parents are patients or treated previously or they're coming as a referral from a dentist that we know very well, they are considered, considered an A new patient or a you know, one, you know, four star new patient, or they get any appointment time they pretty much want with again, our schedule. So we see like 8.30, 9.30, one o'clock, 2.30, whatever the time is, they can have whatever they want. If I have somebody coming in, they found us online, they don't have a dentist, um, they, depending on the conversation, they're not sure they can afford treatment. They're really looking for what the financial is going to be. We're going to schedule them at maybe not um, popular times, maybe more like the 930 spot or even a 110 spot or even an 11 o'clock spot in a shorter time because they're looking for, can I afford this? What are your payment plans? Um, they don't necessarily care about all the technology. Um, so I don't need to spend as much time with them until they're ready to start treatment, which I will make time to do if at that appointment they're like, that sounds great, let's do this. We're gonna make that work for them. But a lot of the times they're just happy with getting that bottom line number for that matter too. Sure. So I know the practice I worked in the longest, we had Fridays as our admin days. And that's when I did a lot of uh, my pending protocol work. So I'd go through all my pending on those days. Uh, do you have, time set aside for pending a little bit differently? So we end the day a little bit early on Thursdays, about an hour earlier than usual. Um, and the, sometimes that works for pending things. With me, I can't say enough that at TC, it's really multitasking. Um, if I have five minutes, I'm gonna call a patient in that five minutes. Um, it's a lot of work on top of those things that work because I can't rely on just one hour of the day or one hour of the week uh, to get things done. So if if a, if a, there's a patient that doesn't come in at the last minute, I'm going to utilize that time to send emails and things like that. So um, um, yes, we have a little bit of an admin, but it's not enough. And you're just I'm just sort of doing things as I can throughout the day. Okay, very good. Um, all right, let's hear our next question. I've heard some interesting things in the exam room, but it seems like at least a few times a week, I hear that the patient or parent needs to go home and talk to their significant other, which I get because this is a serious investment, but more often than not, this feels like an excuse. I would really like some advice on how we can handle this better. Oh, another really good question. Um, so I'm curious, first, before we dig into the uh, spouse 
uh, discussion. What reasons do you hear in the exam room for not wanting to schedule to start and how do you kind of handle these? Not to be redundant, but it's all about reading the people, meaning it is sometimes an excuse and you know that coming in. Um, and it is sometimes a real reason. We work with, like I said, a lot of patients from extended areas and some of them are needing to go home and look at their financials to know if they can afford treatment now, if they need to wait three months or six months. Um, because like that person on the phone said, it is an investment and they know that and they wanna do this for their child or themselves, but they need that information to really look at and, and plan for this. Um, and then also reading people, you know, sometimes it's just an excuse. Um, for instance, this week I had um, a family come in and the, mo the mother, father, and the young woman were here. And the young woman seemed great, um, very mature, 15 years old, very interested in treatment. And to me that both parents were here, meaning both parents took time out of their schedule. It sounds like they own their own business. So they took time away from their own clients because it was important enough for them to be at this appointment. Um, that to me is very telling. They also at the new patient phone call said that they had, um, well, around here it's main care because I work in Maine. Um, we don't participate with a main care program and it is harder and harder to find orthodontists in this area that do. So they knew that we didn't participate. So they knew that it was going to be out of pocket. Um, and they knew that ahead of time, but they were interested to know if they could do this for their daughter. And the dad even said to me, we want to set her up the best we can for the rest of her life. This is very important. We want her as healthy, dental healthy, medical healthy as we can. We want as much information that we can do to this for her. So we talked a lot. He, he asked, obviously, a little bit more technical how braces work. I made sure I spent the time explaining that to him. Mom had actually been here herself as a teenager but never did treatment, wondering how things had changed, and the daughter just wanted to get scheduled. Um, she was crowded. She was a pretty girl. You could see that you know she, she really wanted treatment. Um, I knew that they're going home. To, to look at those financials and see what they can do and when they can start this for their daughter. I'll guarantee 100% sure we will see them again. It's just a matter of when because they need to figure it out. On their way out the door, my front desk was listening after, because my front desk also tries to say goodbye to the new patients too as they leave. Um, and my front desk actually overheard the father saying to the wife and the mother, I think we picked a really good practice. So again, I know we're going to see them again, but they need to go home because they're not ready to start. And it doesn't mean we're not sure. going to get the start. It just means that they need to take whatever time. And I'm going to follow up with them next week to see how they're doing. And I'm not going to ask them if they're ready to schedule. I'm going to ask them now that they've had time to go home and think about things, are there additional questions I can answer for them to help them make decisions that are that they need? So I'm going to handle that phone call a little bit differently. I love that. So um, kind of going back to what you had said earlier, you know, when I first became a TC, I was terrified because I was like, I'm not a salesperson. <laughs> like that is not, you know, innately in me. But I happened to go to an AAO about the same time and I listened to a lecture about being a TC and they said, 
you weren't selling anything necessarily because the patient uh, wouldn't be there if they didn't want to improve their smile. They already know what they want to buy, right? (laughs) So my job was really to read the verbal and the nonverbal cues and to help the patient get what they ultimately wanted. So when I started to hear reasons why people would um, say they needed to postpone starting or they wanted to do this or that, or I need to talk to so-and-so or I need to move some money around, you know, I really tried to watch them listen to them and then ask the right questions so I could get to the root of what was really going on. Um, Mm -hmm. Because I think like you said perfectly, I don't think it's always an excuse to say I need to go home and talk to my spouse. But I do think the financial discussion is probably one of the most uncomfortable parts of the exam for the patient because you're basically asking them to tell a stranger very personal information. You know, and I don't know about you, Sarah, but my mom does not know what's in my bank account, but you're gonna sit me across from a total stranger and be like, I can't afford $800 down or I can't afford $300 a month. Like that is really vulnerable to say that out loud. So I think sometimes the spouse reason is to escape the discomfort of that part of the conversation. If you're really listening, you can kind of dig into that and be like, great. So is it the down payment that's that's going to be a challenge or is it that monthly payment that it's, is the challenge? And let's really talk about that and see what we can do for you. Because again, we're advocating for those patients. We, you know, yes, we want what's best for the practice, but ultimately we want the patient to get what they need out of this, which is, you know, a healthy, beautiful smile and a payment plan they can afford. <laughs> so um, I think listening is so valuable. So... I've spent a lot of time not only personality testing myself, personality testing the people around me, um, and and being able to personality test somebody that I'm talking to, but there's also actively listening. Um, And people don't know what that is. Um, People can ask questions and you need to be able to read between the lines to know what they're actually asking. It might be that question that they're asking is really what they want to know, or it might be something else and they just don't know how to ask it. Yep. Um, I'm gonna, my sister's probably gonna kill me, but years ago, my sister and I went to a self-defense class and, um, and, and she was younger. She was a teenager. Um, I think I was in college at the time and the guy was talking and, and my sister raised her hand and she asked, cause he was talking about women, you know, being aware of your surroundings and being in places at night. And if anything ever happens, heaven forbid, it's never your fault. Um, but know what to do if, if something happens. And she raised her hand and she said something along the lines of, well, isn't it the woman's fault if she's walking alone at night? And like the whole classroom like lunged at her. Like she's this teenager and she like, everybody was like, no, that's never, that's not what she meant. That's the actively listening part that no one did in that class. She's not Mm -hmm. saying that she, she knows it's not the woman's fault. She, but if you actively listen to her, what she's asking is, shouldn't a woman not put themselves in that position if they can avoid it? Sure. And we all know yeah. sometimes you can't, sometimes you can, but that's what she was really asking. Mm-hmm. So you mm-hmm. need to be able to actively listen to your patients. I had a woman ask me or ask my doctor, 
um, well, should we not do treatment now because my son's still growing? Mm-hmm. And my doctor, uh, one of my doctors made sort of a comment about, well, wouldn't it be nice if I could um, look through my crystal ball and tell you if your son's not growing anymore? That made her not pleased. She was asking mm-hmm. a serious question and he kind of made a joke about it. And, um, and so when he left the room, I circled back to that question and I said, I know you were asking about growth. Were you asking about growth to know if your son was going to outgrow this? And she goes, that's exactly what I was asking. Yeah. You have to be able to read that. Um, and that's where your doctor is going to rely on you to be able to do those things too. Um, you have to watch the patient. You have to be able to, again, advocate for them, but to read them and know what they really need to hear to make a decision. I love that. Yeah, and I can tell um, from the many times that we've spoke together that you're really good at not only actively listening, but trying to find out, okay, how can I best serve this patient? And I think, mm-hmm. um, you know, in my years of working at any part of an orthodontic practice, that like, how can I best serve the patient is like the best thing you can ask yourself all day long. That, and I think my goal was always like, I want this patient's day to be better because they sat in my chair today. You know, like I I want them to go and and throughout their day and have a little more pep in their step because, um, Mm -hmm. because they sat in my chair. Like what a cool job we have that we get to impact people's lives in a way that they take this smile that we help create Mm -hmm. and they, take it with them for the rest of their lives. And I think you know, mm-hmm. we're really lucky in this industry to do something that is, it might seem small to some people, but we really do get to do something that's consequential and, and it's meaningful. So before we wrap up, Sarah, is there anything else that we, uh, that I didn't ask you that you wish we would have talked about or t- a tip or trick or anything that you um, wanna share with maybe a TC that's just starting out or is there just anything that's at the top of your mind that you wanted to go over? Sure. Um, So to go back to what you just said, it is a really cool industry. Um, And as a TC, it is a such a unique job that not everybody gets to experience. And it's not the right job for everybody for that matter, too. Um, I started this job. I was trained for this job um, and I thought it was going to last a year and a year turned into two and turned into three. And then Actually, a couple of the women here introduced me to my now husband, and I've now been here 15 years, and I'm going to age myself for a second because I can't even believe (laughs) I'm in this generation at this point, but I am now seeing people that I saw within my first two years, I'm seeing their kids. And I think that's, that's so incredible. Cool. Uh, it is so you know, cool. <laughs> when, the, when they come in and they have kids, that's definitely crazy too, um, but it is <laughs> It's a multi-generational and it, it is just such a unique part of my day for that matter. And I, I take, I like to think, and I, and I do do a good job at this, that I remember things. I remember things about patients. If I'm, if I, if someone comes in and says, you treated me, um, again, I'm probably going to remember that. Um, but I'll remember their siblings and you know, what their treatment was. Um, and I, and I, I like, I like to know that I can do that for them. And when they walk away, whether it was for themselves, they've never been here before, like you said, that you've made their day better. I like them to walk away to say, maybe 
this was so much better than I was expecting. This answered all my questions. Um, those are my goals for, for treatment or for their first appointment, for them to maybe even look forward to coming back to see us again. I love that so much. Um, well, I think you're amazing. And I really hope that everybody enjoyed this conversation as much as I did today. Um, Sarah, you're thoughts and your insights are really valuable and we're really lucky to have you join us today. Um, our goal with this podcast is to give you some truly tangible items that you can use in your day-to-day -day life inside the office. And we really want to elevate the voices of people that actually work in an office, sitting in the same chair that you sit in every day. I think that's really you know, what we're trying to accomplish here. Um, so on our next episode, we're going to be talking to an amazing marketing coordinator and discussing community marketing. Um, we're excited about this episode because at People in Practice, we specialize in digital marketing and we love it when we're working with an office that has a really strong community presence. So we look forward to discussing how these tools can work together uh, to maximize the visibility of the practice in the community. So send us your anonymous questions and stories to practice-talk com, And we would love it if you would uh, subscribe and share this podcast with your friends and family that might find this conversation or any of our conversations helpful or interesting. Uh, thank you for joining us on Practice Talk, where we value your voice. And uh, thank you so much, Sarah. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the Practice Talk podcast. Head over to practice-talk.com to ask us questions or tell us your stories. Until next time.